Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Take me to the king. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our weekly Sunrise Project call. Uh, I'm happy you're all here, and I hope that you find a moment of solace and peace this morning as we share and learn from one another in a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and a mutual desire to heal our children, our families, and ourselves. I'll start with our prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I am so delighted this morning to introduce you to a mentor and a dear friend named Sylvia High, who was our guest uh, this morning. I met Sylvia at an event called Odyssey um, in May of 2009 and I was looking for my coach where, you know, you sign up for these workshops in the afternoon. And so I signed up for executive coaching and couldn't find my coach, couldn't find the lady I was supposed to meet with. And so I popped my head in uh, a particular room and there sat Sylvia and her person had not shown up. So come on in and let's chat. And that was May of 2009. So 11 years ago. And we have been very good friends ever since then. And I continue to learn from Sylvia and follow her to all of her workshops and her events. And uh, I'm just so delighted to have her here with us today. She is going to be speaking on the subject of the art of authoring our own story, 
creating our own narrative despite the challenges. And uh, for many of us, as we know, you know, there's a narrative that, that says we're going to have a certain type of life when we decide to have children. And we've had these notions of what being a good parent looks like, and it's been written into us and poured into us for generations. And yet many of us on this phone find that that story is not actually unfolding the way we imagined. And there is often a sense of failure or loss and a really deep pain that goes along with that. So Sylvia is here to talk with us today about choosing to author a new narrative that is aligned with appreciation and gratitude for the journey that we're on versus the journey we thought we might be on. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Sylvia. It's a pleasure, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. I am really, really honored to be here. It's such a sacred space. And uh, I just want to acknowledge Kelly for um, her courage to really start this platform and I, I think back to when she shared with a large group of 300 women what her family was going through as it relates to her precious son. And uh, so many mothers came up to me afterwards. And the evaluations that year from the conference, her session was one of the highest sessions, although she felt unprepared. But the vulnerability opened up the door for so many other women. And so I think this platform is just needed and just what the spirit and the heart needs, a place to go, the safe. And for me personally, this topic is near and dear to my heart. So I do transformational trainings, and I do it for organizations, and then I do transformational executive coaching. And that really brings me to this. This is so tender uh, when it comes to people we love and specifically our children, uh, some of these conversations sometimes are hard to have. So my request is that you listen from a place of let's not have the critic or the judge join us today. Uh, just open up and hear some of the questions that I'll be asking. The idea is that it will add some additional insight or give you a sense of release in some ways and to really give you an opportunity that, you know, if I could write my own narrative, which we can, what would that look like? And understanding for sure that the complexities of when we're in the situations with our children or family crises, the tools are harder to use, but they're even more necessary than when we're looking at these transformational tools, let's say for a work project or fulfilling a dream or a goal. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. So transformation is one of the most powerful things that exist. And when we as human beings embrace transformation, our entire lives can be different, yet not one fact of our life has to change. And that's why I say in times of crises, transformational tools are most important. When we embrace transformation, 
our entire lives can change, yet uh, not one fact has to change. And that's because when we shift our relationship, our paradigm, or our point of view to a person, place, or circumstance, our experience of that thing changes. Therefore, our lives changes when our experience changes. Also, when we're willing to embrace transformation, we actually become empowered to shift the things that don't align with what we see for ourselves and what we desire for ourselves. And so I work primarily inside of distinctions, and a lot of this won't be new. It's just looking to map it on uh, in the areas of your life uh, as it relates to your family as best as you can, understanding and keeping in mind that, you know, we're dealing with the most precious gifts we have, which is your children, right? So I work primarily inside of distinctions. And why is that so important? What distinctions do for us, it brings things that are hanging in the background to the foreground, and it gives us a level of clarity that we don't have without the distinction. And it also empowers us to distinguish ourselves in the matter, our emotions, our feelings, what we're going through, and identify pretty clearly where you start and where you stop, what's your stuff and what's their stuff, whoever the there is, in this case your children, family members, this could be work in, in, a, in any relationship. So where you start and where you stop. And they have to pick up whoever the day is, and much harder when it's our children, where do they need to pick up? So when I'm working with folks in these trainings, mothers, fathers, executives, it's a broad base of people with a broad base of life challenges or desires, actually, when I work with folks. But it's still very important that when we're dealing with whatever it is, be it something like a crisis in our family or working with a work conflict, not the same by any stretch of the imagination, but the tools can help and uh, in those circumstances. So it's really being clear about, you know, here's where I start and clear about where you start and what's my part and what's their part, much like the serenity prayer that Kelly did earlier, and what's God's part? There's parts of this that's out of our control. And with parenting, this goes on and on forever, well into, you know, you never stop being a parent, whether you're having challenges or not. But I say that over and over a number of times because I understand it's a bit more challenging when we're dealing with our children and the people we love. We can't say, you know, Stay put, and that's it, you know. I would still say, though, that the time for the transformational tools are even more needed when we're in challenging times. So I just wanted this morning touch upon three key distinctions that I've worked with thousands of people on that has supported them in crises, in good times, in challenging times, that will support you being able to have some, well, what I say, exhale, and have some elevation above the circumstances so you're not so towed down by the circumstances. And these three simple distinctions are the power of authorship, the power of our beliefs, and the power of choice. 
And so as we listen, even if you've heard these things before, I'm just going to ask you to listen from the place of an inquiry. No judging, no criticizing. Uh, Don't look at it from a take it personal, but just from a place called, hmm, how might this help me? So let's start with authorship, and that's critical. Uh, There's many definitions of author. Uh, For this morning, I just want to use two very simple ones. An author is simply an originator and the creator. And uh, when we take that and begin to map that on to our own lives and our own circumstances, a whole lot can change. What I know for sure, if we don't author ourselves or our circumstances, the circumstance will author you. I use authoring just here recently. We're all going through this COVID-19. And I know from these tools, I said, oh, man, I got to get really clear so that I can get in front of COVID-19. So what you all don't know, I'm bi-coastal. I live a week every month for the last 20 years in New York City. So needless to say, have my life more of my friends than I can count are in New York. And I happened to be in New York the day before the NBA shut down. And while it became a very real, intense situation, one, how was I going to get back home? The fear got out of control and all of the noise. So I got very clear that I was going to author COVID and I made a decision who I was going to be in COVID and how I was going to come out of COVID. I couldn't wait for COVID to give me permission, nor the news or any of those things. So this authoring is so critical for our well-being, especially in times of challenges. So I think one of the big challenges for parents is when we're dealing with our children and they're in crisis, you as parents are not only in emotional crisis, What also happens for us is what I call an identity crisis, right? Uh, Most parents, without even knowing it, has allowed society to define what it means to be a good parent and how good parents' kids turn out. And when that doesn't happen, we start to question everything that we did, if we did the right thing, and most of all, The questioning is based on what society has said a good parent is versus your, what you need, your definition, what's your narrative. That's why I find that so many mothers in particular, and some fathers too, but mothers struggle when we have demanding careers because the world has basically said a good mother doesn't do that. A good mother doesn't travel all over the globe and do all of these other things. They must be at home 24-7 with kids being the top of the chart all the time. And nobody goes around saying that per se, but that was a narrative that existed before we ever got here, right? And we are born into that narrative, and very rarely do we ever stop to think about, you know, what is my narrative as a parent? Have we ever asked ourselves, what matters to me most as a parent? What's my definition of a good parent? What does each of my kids need from me? How is each kid different from the other? You know, we come into it with this idealistic, 
a idea of what it's going to be like with the perfect kids and the perfect life, and and it's just no such thing. And we don't hear about the hardship and the agony and how even though they're their own kids, there's times when you'll get tired of them and you won't want to do it. And I remember I was in college and I was calling home. I was living in Atlanta, came from Florida, and I was basically a big old baby. And I called home every day for something. And got get this, my mom was a single mom. This is back in old telephone days when you got a telephone bill. And so I was running our telephone bill up to two and three hundred dollars a month, calling my mom every day, really about things that mm, I should have been able to navigate on my own. And after about a couple months of this, she says, "Look, you don't get to call home anymore." And that was difficult for her, but it was also difficult for me. And I also remember another time when she was working two jobs. And, you know, when she walked in the door, it was mama, 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 mama. And she says, look, I just don't want anybody to say that word today or tomorrow. Just give me a break. And so there's some realities to the journey of parenting that no one ever really gives us the opportunity to say honestly, because then it seems like we're bad people or bad parents. How could you feel that way? But what part of parenting do you enjoy? What part of parenting is challenging for me? Those are some of the key questions I think that we need to be honest about and okay with that and not have guilt and shame. Another question that I think is important is how do I want my children, how do I have my children experience my love for them? And not just know that I love them intellectually, but actually experience my love for them. And that's different depending on each one of the children. In other words, have you defined and authored yourself as a parent, or have you allowed society to author what it means to be parent? And if you were to author yourself as parent, what would you author? And another great question I think that we should always give ourselves some grace around is what would you author and what would you reauthor or author differently? What's the narrative? What's the interpretation that would empower you and give you power? So I'll stop there and see if anybody has a comment or a question you want to ask me at this point. Good morning. I have a question about the reauthoring and the unauthoring. What's the difference between that and regret? Because sometimes, you know, I like the way you say it because it makes me feel a little less guilt. But when you talk about the way I interpret it, you know, before you said that, it would be more around feeling regret or feeling guilty about some of the things that I did and wishing that I could undo it or I had done it differently, which is what you said, but it has, you know, different connotations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that question. So it has no wish in it. It's not wishing. It's not hoping. It's not judging. See, hindsight is overrated. And authoring doesn't have a judgment in it. It simply looks at what is and go from the now. So creating from the now and authoring what you would author. Because it's unfair to you or any of us to judge ourselves with 
wisdom that we have now that we did not mm-hmm. have then. So it's not woulda, shoulda, coulda. It's not laced with guilt and blame. There's no blame in it. It's from a point of inquiry, one, and two, you know, really, if I could have it be different, what would be the things I would change? What would I do differently, right, moving forward? But not really expecting something from yourself that obviously you didn't have the capabilities to do at the time because you didn't have the wisdom at the time. This hadn't happened yet. So that would be the difference. One is full of shame, guilt, and judging. The other is really looking from a place of resolution and creation. Okay. And that's very, very, very difficult because uh, I feel, this is my point of view, that the societal version of the good parent, good family, it has the stronger hold on most of us because who has these conversations? Nobody expects this. No one, when you look at your child and thinking about their future, this certainly is not in our view that this is what's coming. Um, So I would say that perfect idea or that ideal family is the stronger scenario than what some of our realities ends up being. So it's a force. It's an unlearning and a new learning a like that, an unauthoring and a reauthoring coming with a very, very strong force called society's point of view that we're working against. So how do we carve ourselves out of this and distinguish ourselves out of a preset belief? You know, when I do the I Am Woman's Conference, the first year that I did that conference, the question in the context of that, that conference was, what does it mean to you to be a woman? And I was out on some skinny branches because I'm like, you know, this is a conversation that other women need to have. And within the first three minutes of that conference, a woman, 38 years old, stood up and tears was running down her eyes. And she says, I'm 38 years old. And I don't think everybody, anybody's ever asked me that question, nor have I answered that question. And we as women, whether some of us are not physically able to give life or give birth to another human being, but when our bodies were designed, that was ideally a part of our physical design that we could, right? And I'm not a woman that has given physical birth, but I am a stepmother and am a partial helping to raise my nephew. And I hadn't even asked myself that question, you know, but the world had already defined for us when we got here what it means to be woman. And very rarely do we stop and say, well, what does it mean to me to be a woman? And give you an example of how I had to author myself, because at the age of 15, I said, I never want to be a mother. I never want to be a parent. I'm too selfish. I'm too self-centered. I just want to live my life, and I had seen my mother never once complain about what it took to raise us, but I was always a nosy kid. I knew what it took for me to be a have among have-nots, and I didn't want to sacrifice myself that way. And so often when I say that, people look at me like I got horns, like what kind of woman is that that don't want to have kids? Never have wanted to, and still today 
don't regret it. I love the ways that I've been able to mother, but I'm still glad that I didn't make that decision for myself. I don't think it would have been the best decision for myself. So I had to author myself a lot to feel okay, uh, even when I see the judging eyes. So that's a long answer to the question, but that's an example of what I mean when I say authoring ourselves and reauthoring. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're very welcome. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. And anyone that we see that's had a very tough background and has overcome and is actually living powerfully and an empowered life, they've created an interpretation of the facts of their life. So notice that I said facts. This isn't about pretending that we're not sad, hurt, overwhelmed, afraid, angry, whatever the range of emotions are at the time. But anyone that we see that has had a tough background or have come through or overcome a challenge and is living powerfully and empowered, they have actually created an interpretation, intentionally an interpretation of the facts of their lives. And this is not to pretend or glaze over the facts or pretend to be okay when we're not okay. It's an emotional, emotional honesty, in fact, is key. Uh, we all know the truth will set us free, and denial creates delays. But any human being that we see that we go, wow, they came through that, and wow, look at them now. What they have done either consciously or unconsciously and the idea with these tools is that you're able to do it consciously. They've created a narrative. They've created an interpretation of the facts that has given them power. And it's natural almost to want our kids to have the best. You know, every generation should do better than the last generation. Well, we need to define what does that look like? Is it based on material achievement, academic achievement? You know, are we, well, how is the scale? If you looked at the scale, is the scale tilted around well-being and who they are as spirits and human beings? Is that part of the scale higher than their achievement? Because if the communication in their minds become that my achievement and those things are more important than who I am, that can cause a tremendous amount of issues, which is what my brother started to deal with when he came to live with me. I was just trying to give him the best and tell him all the things that he could do, he could do and who he could be and what he could be. And what he heard was, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, you're judging me, etc." And we had a different issue than what he had with my mom, right? That was not in the space with my mom. He was dealing with peer pressure there. But then what I had to self-correct was give him some space and let him emerge to be the being he wanted to be and tell him over and over again what she had told us 
versus I am a high achiever. I had achieved far more than my mother had. And achievement was a huge, huge criteria in my mind for what success looked like. Now I've come to know abundant and prosperous life is on a total different planet than achievement and accomplishments. Now, it's great when they marry, but if achievements and accomplishments is the larger conversation versus who you are is valuable, there's a, there's a, a rub there. And trying to strike that right balance of that messaging as a parent is tough. How do I let them know them, the person, who they are as a human being? It's more important and valuable than anything that that you as a human being is valuable, regardless of what you decide to do and become in the world. So that's a that's an interesting conversation to dance between as a parent because it's natural to want your kids to have the best, do the best, achieve the most. But who is that person? Is it an artist that you're raising? You know, my brother, I said to him, and it hurt me to my core, he stopped talking so much, you know. He he answered with grunts, yeah, no, like that. And I said to him one day, you never, ever talk. You never talk. He says, you never talk. I said, I talk all the time. He goes, no, you don't. You never talk to me. I said, I talk to you all the time. He goes, no, you don't. Every time you talk to me, you're telling me what I should do, how I could be better, like that. He says, you're the one that want to run around the world and change the world. I don't want to do that. I just want to get married one day, have a couple kids, get my business, play some dominoes, and be happy. It hurt me uh, because I had to, I'm getting emotional, excuse me, I had to face my arrogance because I felt like my version of life was better than his version versus it was different. And that was the opening and the beginning of him now, him and I now having the relationship that we have now. I had to say, wow, my intentions were good, but how it was translating was not so cool. And there was an arrogance in what I thought was a good life versus what he think was a good life. Fast forward, I married my husband, and we ended up doing the same thing for a while to our daughter. She's his only girl, only child. And our version of success is so different than hers. And when she moved to New York to go into advertising and marketing, we saw her in New York doing advertising and marketing and plays and, you know, doing all of the great things that successful people do. And after she got there, about a year, she met a guy, ended up getting pregnant and having a baby, and that's what she cares about. Now she's married, but she wants to be a mother, and that's more important to her than all of this career stuff that her and dad and myself thought made for a successful life. And we've come through it, but it was, we had to do a triple down on our listening and acceptance of her vision of success. No, that's that's different than when you're dealing with addiction and mental illness and those things. There's things that need to be done. But I'm just giving context of how we as parents can get ourselves 
and our children uh, under so much pressure because of what the world has defined is successful. And we've not stopped to one, hear what they think is successful, or two, even thought about, well, is this what I really care about? Or is this what the world told me I should think is important? So does anybody want to add anything? Oh, my gosh. Kelly, I have to thank you. I met Kelly back in December on a bus trip to New York. Mm -hmm. And I have a son who is 16. My daughter is 33. My kids are 17 years apart. Mm. And they both, and oh, I can relate to what you were just saying about your brother. So my daughter is an artist, but it has taken Mm. me years to try to understand this child. Now, Mm -hmm. my daughter became a single parent at 24. My grandson Mm. was born with health issues. He's deaf. He had to have his colon removed when he was two weeks old. So needless to say, she has a lot on her, but yet she's trying to develop who she is. And they live in my house, okay? So we have, I have my daughter, I have my grandson, I have my son. That's a different issue right there. But, um, but I'm just starting to understand, because she always says, I try to control her life. That's all, that's all she's ever said, that I try to control her. But, um, and she has these mood swings. And it's hard for me being a parent, and you're living in my house, and you're a grown woman. But she's there because she needs to help with my grandson. But then there's my 16-year-old son who has anxiety issues. And the other night, he came up. I, came, I told him to come upstairs for something. He was high as a kite. And I kind of suspected it. And, but he'd always say, no, Mom, I'm not high. But the other night, he, I could smell it, and I could see it in his eyes, and I was furious. And I know my daughter, she does marijuana, and I told her to go outside with that stuff because she says that it calms her. And I told her, stop giving it to your brother. Well, come to find out later on, my husband knew he was getting high, but my husband told him, if you're going to get high, you better do it in the house. Do not do it out in the street. And we're older parents. So my husband is 73. My stepdaughter is 45. I'm 60. My daughter's 33. And then we got the 16-year-old. But my son, he, he deals with this anxiety. And sometimes when he gets angry, he cannot control it. And I put him in therapy but he keeps telling me he doesn't need therapy. I was like, okay, I, you know, I can't fight him on that. And so I'm kind of like at my wit's end. And my whole thing is now he's starting to get high. And that's the thing that worries me because if he's starting to get high now, will he start going to other means of trying to self-medicate himself? He does take ADHD medication, which, you know, helps him in his schooling. His grades are fine. Um, he was in private school, but that got too expensive, so I put him in public school. And when he was in private school, he was damn near a 4.0 student. Then he goes to public school, and his grades dropped. Um, and this is his first year of public school. They have started to incline now. And he does, he pushes himself. He wants to take all these AP classes. I said, you know what, you don't have anybody to, you don't have to try to prove anything to anybody. But no, nope, he went, and so I just, you know, I'm like, what do I do? And it's just, you know, at some point you do say they have to find themselves. But at the same time, I don't want him to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. That's, mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. So anyway, so yeah. Um, and I'm having my therapeutic morning. I'm sitting here walking and talking to you all. 
That's okay. Very good. And that's a lot. And that's the, 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 the lack of control is probably the hardest part for the parent, right? It's not like your work project. And, and for high achievers and very accomplished people, you're so used to setting, you know, this is the goal, and you have the project turn out. <laughs> and unfortunately, or fortunately, obviously it's fortunately because God designed us, you know, the way he designed us as human beings, you can't say stay and that's it. You know, we as human beings, and when you got this emotional and mental, spiritual issues with our children, um, it's a moving target. And so I think part of it is self-preservation. Being honest with yourself, you know what? I really don't want to be bothered with all of this. I don't. I love them, but I don't want all of them in my house having to deal with this on a day-to-day basis. I don't think we give ourselves room for emotional honesty because it doesn't sound nice. But if that's your reality, start with the truth, and that's your first uh, access to freedom. Because Mm -hmm. pretending like something's not so doesn't make it not so. It's just us pretending like it's not so. So as much as you can stay emotionally honest, the stronger you'll be in this. So thank you for being so vulnerable, and I certainly will, you know, say some extra prayers for everybody that's on the phone. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Great. I see a couple of folks turning their phones yeah. on. Okay, great. Um, hi, I actually didn't expect that I was ever going to speak on these calls because I'm really just on here to support um, my dear friend Kelly and um, Sylvia. I just have to say um, you've really blessed me this morning. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, asking the question, what would you do if you didn't care what other people think? Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times I'm so worried about what other people think. And um, my situation is different because it's my mother who has mental illness. And they say, you know, once a, a man, twice a child. And so, you know, so, I, so with COVID, I brought her in my house and I started drinking a lot. And I think about, you know, everybody who has those, that relative, whether it's your son, your daughter, or your parent, where you're just so close, you just want to be around them all the time, you want to talk about everything, they're your best friend, but the behaviors of somebody that has mental illness, it is so difficult. Mm-hmm. It is so difficult because one minute it can be great, the next minute I literally mm-hmm. am about to lose my mind. Mm-hmm. And... And so I, but then I look on, you know, social media and Facebook, and then I'm like, oh, this person's so close to their mother, or they're so close, you know, they're so such a bond. And so you feel this pressure of how do I get there? How do I get to this place where I can deal with it? Because it's difficult. And so I'm trying and I'm taking little steps every day. And even yesterday, I just said, do her nails, just do her nails. Maybe that'll just reset things and so Mm -hmm. just hearing you today just helps me to kind of really think about it a little bit more not that I'm like Mm -hmm. I don't care what other people think but at the same token I want to give myself a little bit more grace Mm -hmm. in this process because it is just Mm -hmm. extremely difficult Mm -hmm. so thank you no thank you for coming forth here's what I will say you all wishing and hoping not hoping like hoping for the best, but I'll say wishing, 
it's uh, comparing is the thief of joy. Yeah. So painting her nails, you got to celebrate your wins. And we all know that stuff on social media, so much of it is not what it is. But what's your truth for your family? You know, you don't know if they're close or not. That could have just been a good picture. And even if they are, so what? That's their life. What's, you know, this is your reality. So I teach a course called the Master's Course, and it's called Have What You Have. Have What You Have. It doesn't mean settle and think this is the way it's going to always be. But when we're wishing and hoping to be some in a different place than we are, it escalates the current situation, and it escalates a dissatisfaction. So to settle in and have what you have. And then the other thing that I would offer you all is to experience what you're experiencing and communicate that experience with the intent of others getting it. You know, so feel what you're feeling when you're sad, you're sad. Don't deny it. I'm stressed, I'm stressed. Now, I'm very prickly about language, so I would say I'm experiencing stress versus calling saying I am stressed. I do a series called I am, and everything that you say after I am is critical. So learn to language. Empowering language is critical. I am stressed. I am distressed. I am overwhelmed. I am experiencing versus I am. Okay, I got a couple more. Is there another question there, Kelly? I did have a couple more if you all had time points that I wanted to make before we, I think. Oh, it does, yeah, it no, doesn't look like it. So please go right ahead. Okay. So again, the person that you want to kick to the curb, y'all, is self-loather, the judge, and the critic. Every time they come up in the Bible, it says, bring down every strong imagination that should rise itself up against the word of God. So every time that negative conversation comes up, you need to annihilate it in the moment and replace it as hard as it may be with something different that's healthy and empowering. Also, all information is a gift. So if you could keep the judge out of the journey and the critic out of the journey, and as things come up with you, your family, and your kids, look at it from a place of curiosity. Mm, why is this happening again? Wow, wonder what's going on with them now or her or me. What that information will do, it can become an educator for you. But when we are self-loathing, judge, critic, and defensive, we shut down the information, and therefore it short-circuits our ability to get new insights around um, what we're going through. And I just can't say enough, Kelly, for creating this safe space and no judgment zone. But another question I do have for you all, if this call was unmasked and it wasn't anonymous, how would you feel? How come? Would you feel naked? Would you feel ashamed? Would you feel guilt? Would you not want to be on the call? So that's another place to look see what comes up for you there. And here's a question. If you get some time today, answer this question. Journal this. The narrative I'm committed to authoring moving forward is, and what opens up for me in this new narrative is, 
the first distinction that I wanted to touch was the power of authorship. And the second distinction is the power of our beliefs. Our beliefs are our vehicles. I know you know, all of us know this intellectually, but like when you can get this experientially in real time and not blow it off as some motivational tool, I'm telling you, our beliefs are our vehicles that get us from where we are to where we want to be. Our beliefs constricts us or they expand us. Our beliefs will hold us captive or they will set us free. What we must learn to do with all the stuff that you're under is as much as you can be an observer of your thoughts. Observe your thoughts in the moment. And your thoughts will give you access to what your beliefs are. So consistently step back. But We're moving so fast. And our mind is doing what it's doing, and we think that we're one with our thoughts versus we are actually creating those thoughts, and they're driven by a particular set of beliefs. And it's only when you become a self-observer will you be able to identify it. By me doing this, I've learned that I have a fundamental belief that I'm not enough. I'm always going to be the little girl from West Palm Beach, Florida, that grew up 15 minutes from the Kennedys that didn't know she was enough. But because I've become a keen observer of my thoughts and understand that when those thoughts come, I need to, you know what, put some new thoughts in place. And growing up around that level of wealth, you know, 15 minutes from Palm Beach, Florida, I had to create a very big new narrative because the world said money and power equals better. Poor, less, you know, financially struggling, working parents make you less than. And that's how I could be in a party with 200 kids who are getting yachts, 52-foot yachts for their 16th birthdays and be the only kid in that party not high because I had experienced myself um, one, my mother had dictated that you know your external doesn't drive you. It took a lot, and uh, again, to my credit or whatever the scenario was, I wasn't dealing with addictions, mental, emotional issues. That's a completely different game and add a whole different piece in it. But when we can become observer of our own thoughts, you know, what am I thinking? Okay, well, what's the belief in place that's got me thinking that? And retrain your mind to think what you want it to think and not what it wants to think. And I am in no way saying this easy under the crises, in the distress, but I am saying that's back to the serenity prayer. That's where your point of power is, is to notice your thinking. That will drive you to your beliefs. And if you did, you know, in therapy, you can get to the heart of where those beliefs come from. And that's what I love about my work. I don't want you just to process it. Now that you process it, how do we propel forward? And some, you know, if you think of your brain as a train, it's on a track. Think of your brain as a train on a track. And it might be time to shift it to a new track. And you're the only person that can really do that. Mm-hmm. And you've got to save you before you can save them. And if you've got to shift that train 20 times a day, were you dealing with that kind of mental illness, a mom like you just described, with, you know, that level of mental illness? You may have to shift that train 900 times in one day to a new track because that's how intense the situation is. Grace and breath 
and prayer is your best friend. And some of you I know are walking around with all that you're dealing with and all that you've managed and all that you've achieved. You have the nerve to ask, if I need help, uh, it makes me uh, seem weak. You know, you're thinking, I have to keep my family together. That belief doesn't work. If I ask for help, it means I'm weak, not a good belief. I need to be the inspiration for the family. Too much weight on your shoulders. I need to keep it together. I need to keep us together. Hello, human. Too much weight on your shoulders. I need to be an example. Yeah, as best as you can, make sure you're embracing your own humanity. Or I need to explain myself to others. No, you don't. When's the last time somebody paid your mortgage? Others are going to judge me, talk about us. We will look bad. Who cares? So those are some beliefs that I would say add extra stress, creates distress, turmoil, guilt, and shame. So I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you updated your beliefs? Are they working? Which ones do you need to release or redesign? Are your beliefs creating peace, hope, possibility? What beliefs would you need to let go of to even create a new possibility? Faith is faith, but is your faith in hope or is your faith in fear? Is your faith in what's possible or what's not possible? Don't join the collective. It's so tempting to speak all of the things that aren't going right with your children or your family. But I say speak to who your children are becoming. Mm -hmm. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't give in to the narrative. Go get the facts. Do the therapy. But let me tell you something. You take your children back from the enemy. And I know in the logical mind that you've got to do both. Yes, get the logical help, the medical help, medication, whatever's wanted and needed. But nothing replaces the faith in God and what's possible. And speak life over your children. When they're asleep, go in their rooms, lay your hands on them, pray over them. Where is your faith? Is it faith in hope or is it faith in fear? See who they're becoming. Visualize. You know, people do vision boards. I would visualize literally and have some old school affirmations. Just like Kelly's doing the uh, serenity prayer, affirm who they are every day and every night. That's not my child. The child, he's beautiful, he's amazing, he's powerful, he's successful, he's healed, whatever you need to do. Um, I wrote a book last year. It's called uh, I Am Woman Devotional for Elevated Living, and it's the I Am series. I would uh, strongly recommend that each of you get a copy of that and let that be your companion. And it challenges you only to speak the affirm about who you are. It's like the airplane ride. You have to put on your mask first in order to even save your children. And what's your oxygen? Is it the beach? Is it journaling? Is it a hot bath? Is it five minutes? Is it a cup of tea? I don't know, but keep putting on your own mask. So old school sermon I heard years ago say, have what you say. Don't say what you have. And I'm not saying deny the facts. But don't keep speaking what's not working. Speak what you're looking to create. 
speak to who your child will be and who they are becoming. You must be the gatekeeper of your mouth. Words are powerful. Find words to affirm you and deposit into your children's emotional and spiritual bank with no corrections attached. Mm. No correction. It does no good to say, you know, oh, whatever the affirming thing is, and then make a correction. But if you need to pull up your socks or clean your room, separate the two. And some of you, we've been withdrawing, not intending, don't beat yourselves up, but every time you correct your child, you are pulling from their emotional and spiritual bank, and in their brains, the only interpretation they make of it is they're being judged, you're trying to control them, they're not enough, they can't get anything right. Yes, you have to do that part, but I put my husband on this, and I made him for nine months not give our daughter, and we were not, weren't having some of the challenges like what some of you are dealing with, drugs and mental things like that, but she, her confidence was not where it needed to be, and she's brilliant, right? And as a protective alpha male, he was constantly, you know, giving her advice, good advice to make sure everything turned out. The translation was she was constantly judging her. And so I put him on an assignment, nine months. That's how long it took for her to get here. Deposit, affirming, affirming, affirming. Real stuff, specific details. And if you make those deposits, you're filling up their emotional bank account so that you've earned, you think because you took care of them and you fed them and you raised them and you've given them the best, that you've earned their right to their to their listening. But that's not what gets you their listening. That's not what gets you credibility with them, believe it or not. Them experiencing themselves as being seen, affirmed, and appreciated is what gets you their ear. And it's hard to do when they're doing things that you know is stupid and not smart and not good for them. And that doesn't mean that you don't do correction and um, discipline, but they need to be separate. Affirm when you affirm and let that be it. And now I would not believe that this was possible, but my I used to be the first person my daughter called. Not her biological mom, not her dad. Now the first person she calls in trouble is her dad. She's getting ready to get a divorce. It's him that she's talking to. Why? He's earned her ear. He's earned her respect. She experienced herself as seen and respected by him. And it shifted the entire thing. And all he was trying to do was, I'm getting emotional again, I'm sorry, was to protect her. But her interpretation was that he was treating her like a little kid. So, um, wow. Yeah. That's so powerful, was- Sylvia. And I um, can feel it. And I'm a waterhead, too, as people know who call in on this call. But that was really powerful and so transformational this morning. The last I'm going to leave you with is ask yourself consistently throughout as things are going on, what are the facts, what are my beliefs, and what are my feelings? Mm -hmm. We treat our beliefs like they're facts. 
and they're not. And with all of the crises and when things are up and down and all over the place, you want to keep distinguishing what's really going on. Because when emotions are high, logic is low. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, again, okay. thank you so much. I'm going to close with a prayer, uh, okay. as always. Dear Father, thank you for allowing Sylvia High to pour into us so powerfully this morning on how to change our own narrative and author our own story. Help us, Father, embrace transformation and allow our children to travel on their own journeys, not what we believe their journeys should be. Help us understand that our children's choices are their choices, and even if they're not our choices, help us find peace and speak to our children on who they're becoming, as Sylvia suggests. Father, Mm. you love us in a perfect way, even in the middle of our crises and in the middle of our family's crises. You love all of us perfectly, too. Thank you for loving Mm. our children beyond our capacity. When we can't Mm. see what's happening in our children's lives, we can rejoice because you hold them in your hands. Yes. Father, please protect our boys and girls and keep them safe, particularly as they are young adults and Black in America. Thank you for your undying love for us and for blessing us today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again for everybody being here today. Have a beautiful day, and uh, we'll be back next week. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.